right, welcome. It is Don't At Me. I am Dan Dockage, and let's get right into it. I put it out on Twitter every time it happens. And you say to me, what is it? There's no way. I don't care what anybody says. And I am a staunch believer because I've seen it for myself in election fraud in Northwest Indiana in the Chicagoland area. If you don't believe in election fraud, then I don't know what to tell you. I don't. And I don't care what you tell me. I got a friend in Greece. Why? Because, well, frankly, uh, he tried to buy elections, paving roads. I mean, don't even try it with me. Try it with other people. You're tell- hey, can we play the clip of Joe Biden here? You're telling me 81 million people voted for this? Is that what you're telling me? America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping, traveling with him. I traveled 17,000 miles when I was vice president. I don't know that for a fact. You're telling me. You're looking me dead in the eye here, America. And you're telling me 81 million of you voted for that. And I know the answer. Well, the other guy was no good. Stop it. There is no way in hell. But hey, look, he is our president and he is just a lot of people's leader and he is the guy. So he can say whatever that was and people will defend. We can, I was in Vegas, gas prices at $6. I don't know, but it just, it, it makes me laugh every time. Well, well, uh, you know, he's older. Yeah, I'm older too. Well, he stutters. No, that wasn't a stutter. How about just saying we hired a guy that doesn't know what the he's doing or where he's at? That's fine. Just keep gas prices down. I don't want to hear the word inflation and get the stock market rolling. That's all. I, you could put a bag of sand in the White House for all I give a rat's ass. Uh, and, uh, but at least be a competent person. A bag of sand would sound better than that. But that's your boy. That's your boy And I'm excited that everybody gets your boy out there and rocking and rolling because that's just ridiculous. And it's every day. And every day I put it out there and every day people lose their mind and every day people go, oh, you suck. Imagine how bad the other guy was. No, it's not a matter of how bad the other guy was. It's just simply a matter of uh, whatever happened in the middle of the night happened in the middle of the night. And that's what you got, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, I ain't even mad about it. I'm not. That's what you want. You guys cheated for that? If you cheated? Seriously? For that? We couldn't do better than that? All right. And the partner's worse. The partner's worse. All right, yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, uh, turns out, turns out, Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski was right. Right? I mean, he's right. He said it. Hey, Frank Vogel going to be fired. Guess what? Frank Vogel was fired. Well, Sorst says he was going to be fired. And, you know, Woj showed himself to just be a parasite. If you want to be a parasite, be a parasite. He's a popular parasite. He's a rich parasite. Uh, So there you go. I always live by the mirror. What's the mirror? I got to be able to look myself in the mirror. If I said tomorrow someone's going to be fired, uh, and the guy didn't know he was going to be fired. I'd feel like, hell, I don't care what I'm making. 
But again, hey, what are you going to do? Google me. I'm a bad guy. And those guys are good guys. So it's just a matter who you follow and what you're doing. But so anyway, uh, Palinka calls out Wodes, though, for a source. Now, who's Palinka? I know you're asking me. Who the hell is Palinka? Well, Palinka is the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers. And if you go back to when the Fab Five was at uh, Michigan, he made a hell of a spin layup. 360 layup in the national championship game. But anyway, then he became kind of a slick uh, agent, and now he's a general manager of the Lakers. Well, he's saying that Woj, although he was right, didn't have a source. And I would say to Palenka, yeah, you're crazy. I would say to Palenka, you're out of your freaking mind. I mean, somebody told him. Here's the thing with, with guys in the media. Somebody's telling them. That's it. So you can say, well, he doesn't have a source. And I say, okay, how do you find out? Because that's what Palinka's saying. Palinka's saying, hey, look, there was no source a day ahead of when Vogel, and everything was done face-to-face with Vogel. And maybe, but it's not true. Look, here's why I'm having a show. I, I have a show to tell you the backstory. Because you all believe the headlines. There is never a time ever, not one time ever, to believe a headline or a writer or anything. There's never a time. So if you are buying into a writer, if you are buying into what you read, you're nuts. You're crazy. You're cray-cray. Don't be cray-cray. No reason to be cray-cray. Just understand that everything you read on these situations is total crap, and folks are trying to cover their own backside. That's it. You can say whatever you'd like to the contrary. You can get mad at me for saying it. I don't care. That what was said by Palenka's crap. Because obviously, obviously, Wojnarowski had it. As obvious, Wojnarowski is unscrupulous, doesn't care about folk. And you know what? He did his job. That's what everybody tells me. He's doing my job. I'm just doing my job. Well, if that's an excuse for being, you know, then fine. All right? So we add to it, ladies and gentlemen. Let's add to it. You ready? Let's add now LeBron James. So LeBron James, he of a, quote, stakeholder in the Lakers, right? He's a stakeholder. He's the guy a few years ago trying to get his teammates traded at freaking the trade deadline. All right. Big man on campus. I'm a stakeholder. I'm looking at the roster. I'm doing this. Guess what? Bad season. Bad season. So guess what old blood and guts LeBron's doing? Oh, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not my decision who we bring back. Not mine. No, they'll ask me maybe, but it's not mine. Of course it's his decision. We all know he's been running this bad boy since he got there. Rob Palenka was subservient to the Fab Five when he was at Michigan, and he's subservient to LeBron James. No matter how slick Rob Palenka puts his hair, no matter how many $5,000 suits, no matter how many purse lips, doesn't matter. He is subservient to LeBron James, and in typical LeBron James fashion, which I like LeBron James. I think he's a terrific basketball player, but I think he's kind of a little bit of a, I don't know what the right word is, batch. You know, when he carried his purse out of the press conference, I don't know. 
But to me, now, all of a sudden, LeBron James says, whoa, 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 slow your roll here. Hang on. I'm not responsible for this. I'm not responsible for who comes back. You buy that? I don't buy it. Do I care about it? Not really. But it is the biggest story out there. Other than Cam Newton. I got to get into Cam Newton with Allison Williams. People are mad at Cam Newton. I'll get into that. I can't decide on this show if it's worth me bringing it up or not, Cam Newton. I think it's really funny. See, A lot of you are saying what? Hey, Google it. I'll be, I, I will get back to it. I'll get back to it. I promise I'll get back to it. But I thought LeBron James ran the Lakers. When they're rolling, LeBron James sure talks like he runs the Lakers. What is it about people? You know, what is it about we only accept the praise? We always look for a sneaky way out of the criticism. The Lakers stunk. Other than really one year, the Lakers have stunk. I think they won 31% of their games before James got there. So James has elevated them. So just accept bad year, bad decision. You brought in Russell Westbrook, can't play anymore although he did lead the Lakers in every statistic. Maybe he can't win, I don't know. But long story short, just accept it when you screw up. Hey, man, they're not going to – it's not my decision. What? I remember being at the Lakers-Pacers game right around the trade deadline a few years ago. And I forget who was at the free throw line. Was Brandon Ingram on that team? I think he might have been. I don't know. But whoever was at the free throw line, the whole crowd was chanting, LeBron is tra- – how did – hey, Lee, how did that chant go? Remember? It was like, LeBron's going to trade you, something like that. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, and all of a sudden, that's when they are all right. But all of a sudden, LeBron not trading you anymore because they had their ass beat. Don't be a little – you know what, LeBron, be a man, walk it. Man, i tell you this. I tell you what, my age and my mentality would be so dangerous if I had LeBron's money and influence. Oh, 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 oh. you all would be calling me every name in the book. Think about it. Think about it out there. Those of you on the YouTube chat, if you had LeBron's uh, money and you had LeBron's influence, I'd say, yeah, man. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Yeah, okay, we screwed it up. See, I'm going on my yacht. I'll be in Bimini. I don't even know what Bimini is, but we'll go to Bimini. Or we'll go to the Bahamas. In the Bahamas, it's like a status thing at that hotel. What the hell's the name of that hotel, Lee? Uh, Paradise Island? Atlantis. Atlantis. My wife's over there just trying to read the Bible, just trying to be left alone from her husband. She's in the other room. She's just trying to sit there and read the Bible. And she's got to, I mean, she had to fix the freaking battery here on the, on the box we got, she had to dig through this. Now she's got to ask questions. A woman's just trying to have a coffee and read the Bible. Am I right? Yes. That's all she's trying to do. <laughs> hey, when you get me on your channel, yeah, get the whole family. Don't at me about it either. LeBron just sitting there. Why are you bothering LeBron? Man, if I had his money, hmm. I'd be dangerous because I would accept the criticism. Do you think what happens is people get so many guys around you that you're immune to criticism? 
I don't know. But I'm watching Winning Time. Winning Time with the Lakers. You know, it's that show on HBO. And it's really cheesy, but I really like it. I can't stop watching it. And every time the, every time the episode ends, it's like, man, I didn't want it to end, so now i got to wait till next Sunday. But anyway, one of the things that comes in Winning Time is Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson going to the Lakers. It's basically how Dr. Jerry Buss saved the Lakers and got it going and made it, you know, Hollywood slash Vegas slash basketball. But one of the things that's kind of interesting with Magic Johnson is how these dudes are coming, all come at Magic Johnson. Man, people coming at you, people coming at you, people coming at you. And eventually Magic Johnson obviously becomes, you know, settles down, loses his mind, obviously. He's got all kind of crazy stuff going on. But eventually stays with his wife. And it's really a pretty good story. Although Magic Johnson on Twitter is one of the funniest things ever. Uh, today I have a red shirt. Oh. But anyway, so I, it made me think about a guy like LeBron James. I got to believe you multiply by 10, 20, 50 what was coming at Magic Johnson in 1979, 1980, as opposed to LeBron James right now. Could you imagine? My wife and I and my friend Bart Fox took a tour. Was it Universal Studios, Lee? Lee? Oh, she went upstairs. Uh, uh, of Universal Studios, or Paramount, I can't remember which, with the head of it. And uh, CAA, the agency, was trying to recruit me, so they, you know, they, they wanted to impress, and they did. So we were driving around Universal Studios, and the guy goes, yeah, see that? That's a set, but it's also a real house, and that's where LeBron James' production company's at. I'm like, wow. He goes, yeah. He goes, when LeBron James brings us a project... It is always very well organized, very well done. He goes, Magic Johnson brings us a project. It's crap. Unorganized. Not very well done. But LeBron's great. So I've always had respect for LeBron. Your team lost. You guys stunk. Just own it and get the bimini. That's it. That's it. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the true power of players. You ready for this? So the other day, when Dwayne Haskins passed away, tragic, Adam Schefter decided that he had to make it about his playing career. Fine. You got to make it about your playing career, then you're an idiot. The guy just died. You're a parasite. Wojnarowski, Schefter, parasites. So what happened was, and this is the true power, players, prominent players, Lamar Jackson, Cam Hayward, these guys said, whoa, 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 Schefter. Shut the you-know-what up. Uh, Cam Newton went at him. Some guy said he should just apologize. Uh, Not Cam Newton, the other guy. uh, uh, Not Cam Hayward. I was thinking Cam Hayward. No, no, no. Lamar Jackson went at him. Lamar Jackson went at him. I got Cam Newton on my mind because of the, uh, the comments about his ideal wife, which, hey, he can certainly make. But anyway, so Cam Hayward comes out. Lamar Jackson really comes out. And a bunch of players come out, and they're like, well, Schefter's just a liar. Schefter never apologizes. That, as the great Paul Kaharski said yesterday, is how you get to Schefter. That is how you hurt these parasites. You take away their lifeblood. Their lifeblood is being able to say to their boys, hey, man, I just talked to Lamar yesterday. Oh, really? Oh, okay. What, what'd you do? 
Why doesn't ESPN have it on their page? They got about a third baseman apologizes for choice words after errors, but they don't have anything about Schefter apologizing. Why is that? Only those of us not involved in ESPN when we screw up? Okay. All right. Well, anyway, so Schefter apologizes, right? Which is fine, which is great. I mean, yay, Rod, go fight, win. We all make mistakes. However, when you look at Schefter's apology, the beauty of it, the absolute beauty of it is this. He talks about upsetting the players in the league and apologizing to the players in the league. Now, let me explain something to you. That's the true power that players have. You can talk about the NFLPA, and certainly it's powerful, but the true power is you control the narrative as a player by not feeding little parasites information that has made them rich. Players, agents, and coaches, and owners, and GMs have made Adam Schefter not only rich, but he's the damn gatekeeper. He's the information. What do they say? Information is power. Well, guess who controls the power? Schefter. Why? Because all these little slaps in the NFL can't wait to run to little Shefty and tell them so he'll put it out with his millions of followers. He'll talk about it on ESPN. And I don't understand what the hell everybody gets out of it. Hey, this is true. Guys and their agents will say, hey, copy and paste this part of my contract and send it to Schefter. Why? So Schefter will put it out there. Why? So it makes a player look good. Why? Don't know. Don't know why you give a guy like Schefter, an uninteresting guy with a big mouth and will screw you if he can against somebody more powerful. I'll never understand why people give a guy like Schefter the power. This isn't against Schefter. He's brilliant. He understands what he's doing. He has turned this into $10 million a year. $10 million. Think about that. To do what? Well, I was talking to Chris Ballard, and Chris Ballard said, hey, $10 million. More fame than he ever imagined. Because players are dumb enough to run to him. Because the system is set up that that dude owns all the players. A bad tweet by Schefter, guess what? You're screwed. I think that should change. And then, of course, Schefter did what guys do, which is fine. He went and, quote, honored the life of Dwayne Haskins. He don't know Dwayne Haskins. I guarantee you a thousand times over, I've been not with him, but I've been with other dudes at ESPN in the lunchroom. What are they talking about? Oh, this guy's a bust. This guy can't play. This guy, no grip. I guarantee you a thousand times. That's what little Sheffy Scrappy, that's what little Scrappy has been doing. What a load of crap. What a complete load of crap. And I got to tell you, I've had enough of it. Players, this is your opportunity. I'm going to talk to Bobby Carpenter about this. This is your freaking opportunity to stand up and say, nonsense, Schefter. Basketball players and that whole deal is just, I don't even know. I mean, they're so tied into woads that they're dumb enough to leak draft choices before. That's how stupid they are. So they have made, they have made, 
Shefty, or excuse me, they have made these guys multi-multi-millionaires. Multi-millionaires. In their, where were, so stupid. And I'm at least glad to see, very, very glad to see that players actually stood up. Now, I guarantee you players back down. I guarantee you they're not smart enough to say, wait a second, we got this guy on the ropes. We got him on the ropes. You should have him on the ropes. You should. Why are you making this guy rich with your information? Explain that to me. I mean, I'll sit here and listen. Like, all of a sudden, Lamar Jackson, right? Lamar Jackson goes from a Shefty to he's promoting every little ridiculous thing that there is. I don't know, some party, something. No. You guys are some commercial. Now, Era Eight Apparel. Okay, great. Era Eight Apparel. You guys take back your league, man. That's just dumb. That You got a chance, a real chance, a real chance to affect the way your information is disseminated, and you're worried about Lamar Jackson. You're worried about selling an Era 8 T-shirt. Good for you. You keep the screws on if you're smart. You do. Let me tell you about a guy like Schefter. You clap back at him if you're Lamar Jackson. He'll tweet anything you want. He'll get down on his knees. He'll beg and pray, and he'll get you anything you want. But you guys are worried about selling a T-shirt. It's unbelievable to me. I should run everything. Honest to God, I should run absolutely everything in this world. Because, see, here's the problem with Lamar Jackson. I guarantee his agent is telling him, tread lightly. No. Why would you tread lightly? You're a former MVP. You're making bazillions. What's the owner going to do? You pissed off Shefty, so you can't – we're not going to sign you? What, are you crazy? It's unbelievable. It it is arguably the most – got a chance right now to do something for your league, and you're worried about selling a T-shirt. Hey, buy my Era 8 stuff. We'll throw in uh, a free towel that I wore in 19 or in 2020. I wore a towel. Here, we'll throw it in. Buy a $20 T-shirt. No. No. You guys, if the NBA had any, or if the, if the NFL players had any brains at all, they'd be crushing Schefter right now. That would change the entire dynamic of how this stuff is out. Now, Schefter's going to appease for a few days, for a week. Stupid. Uh, The NBA playoffs start today, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I'm all in on this. This is just me. Uh, The NBA is completely and totally unwatchable, except in the playoffs. Uh, If you think it's interesting to watch a Wednesday night uh, Clippers-Wizards games, then God bless you, all right? If you think it's interesting to watch James Harden dribble around, God bless you, all right? Fine, fantastic, wonderful. Yay, rock, go fight, win. But here's what's good. I'll tell you what's good, because this is good. The NBA playoffs tonight on a one-and-done scenario. I ain't mad about it. I ain't mad about it. I ain't a little bit mad about it. It's worth watching. Uh, New Jersey's far Brooklyn. They're trying to win. They're trying to get in the playoffs. They're trying to do whatever. They (laughs) got to go up against Charlotte. Uh, Tomorrow, mark my words, 
if Miles Bridges scores 10 points, some little slap from Michigan State will say, Dockett, you done said he didn't have any game. Yeah, whatever. But I'm just telling you, on a one-and-done scenario, this is fun to watch. This will be fun to watch. I'm not saying you got to watch it. I'm not saying it's must-see, but it's Cleveland against Brooklyn. Darius Garland used to come to my basketball camp. He's a star. Then it's the Clippers in Minnesota, America's biggest choke and fraud. Paul George takes on a young emerging team that actually, I did not know this, 46 and 36 in Minnesota. That's like an all-time record. I don't know what you're doing. But anyway, it's fun to watch tonight. Give it a watch. I think you'll like it. I mean, I don't know if it's weird, you know, the way the playoffs go about it. You got play-in games. If you lose this one, you still have another chance, all that kind of stuff. Hey, look, what are you going to do? But the truth of the matter is I like one-and-done scenarios. I do. So I think tonight's going to be a fun night in the NBA. I think it's going to be a really fun night. I'm all in on it. Uh, I'm not all in on all of it. And I'm, I wish James was in because I like watching James. But the truth of the matter is, I'm, all, I, I'm in on that. I'm, I'm good with that. All right, last thing. Uh, and I don't know how much you pay attention to this. I don't know how much you don't. But the WNBA draft was last night. And Ryan Howard was selected number one overall by the Atlanta Dream. All right? Now, the Atlanta Dream... Fine. I like Ryan Howard because of this. She's from Kentucky. I'm not supposed to like Kentucky being an Indiana guy. But I, when I look, I always see Baylor. I always see South Carolina. I always, oh, by the way, Kentucky beat South Carolina. I always see UConn as the number one pick. I watch Ms. Howard play. She's damn good. She is. She's damn good. Like, my wife has taught me about athletic movement in women. Man, she got it. Now, remember, that she led a team that did beat the number one team in the country, the national champs in the SEC finals. So I'm very happy for her. She seemed like a really nice woman, too. I'm into nice these days. Get nice. Last thing, I don't know. Um, I mean, do you know Brittany Griner's still in jail? Now, look, I get a lot of people said, well, she was very arrogant walking into a Russian frickin' airport with something illegal in her bag. I, I get all that. I get that that's what people want to say. And for a day or two, okay, maybe. But, man, this has been months. We got to do something to get Brittany Griner out. I just think our leadership is too weak, as you heard from our guy to start the show, Jolton Joe. Somebody got to get Brittany Griner out of that prison, man. Look, I understand there's bigger fish to fry. I understand, but, man... You bring some weed oil or whatever it is, but you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have done it in the first place. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But, damn, this has been months for that. 81 million votes. For some reason, and I don't know if I'm right about this, for some reason I feel like Donald Trump would have got it done. I feel like there would have been a fear there, a craziness of fear. Not saying it's true, but I'm just feeling like if you play, if you listen to that clip that we played on Biden to start this show, you're telling me anybody's respecting that? It ain't happening. Uh, I got to talk to Bobby Carpenter. I got to run a couple things by Bobby. Bobby's going to join us here in a minute. We're going to talk about the life and the impact of Dwayne Haskins. But we're also going to talk about, isn't it time NFL players stood up and said, yo, Shefty, 
Shut the up. Take back. Take back ownership. Don't let him be the gatekeeper. Dan, are you a biologist? No. Sean Black, how are you? Yeah, a lot of people feel the way Sean, he just said, I wonder if Brittany Griner still thinks the United States sucks so bad. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people feel that way. I feel like, hey, I feel like Trump would have got this done. I feel when you're weak at the top, man, you are screwed. And we're weak at the top. Hubba-da-bubba-da-bubba-da-boo is what Biden said to start this show. Man. Yeah, Jody Shelton should probably be a conservative when she was, when she returns. Yeah, I hope we get her out of there. Seriously, man. I have a good friend was in a German jail. He was selling jeans. They arrested him. I helped get him out with my buddy Uwe Blob. It ain't pretty, man. I hope we get her out. It's been too long. All right, Bobby Carpenter going to join us when we come back in a minute. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. All right, the great Bobby Carpenter at BCARP3 joins us. All right, I got a couple things. I'm leading with, I think I don't think people kind of understand the impact Dwayne Haskins had on Ohio State, right, in his time there. Yeah, I think uh, it's probably understated, and, and just due to the fact that maybe his NFL career wasn't as successful in its early stages as people would have liked. Obviously, it wasn't great in Washington, and uh, he hadn't had really a chance to really perform in Pittsburgh yet, but is you sat there and look at what he did, you know, Urban Meyer came in and he ran the spread offense, but you know, for people who know football, it wasn't, uh, you know, spread it, throw it all around. I mean, he was quote, a power spread coach. And so what his goal was is we're going to spread people out and run traditional, uh, traditional runs, you know, power with your quarterback, with your running back, run some jet sweeps, but it wasn't something where, Hey, we're going to try to throw it for 5,000 yards. And so I think that was the difference then is, you know, he got suspended. Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator. And I think it was strategic for Urban to bring him in, understanding that, hey, we might need to change and pivot a little bit in this new era of college football. And all Dwayne Haskins does is go out and throw 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. And really, for my money, if you look at it, no one had been more impactful on the Big Ten from the quarterback position and really kind of changing what the conference was. was and, you know, and kind of elevating it to you know, more of a passing league since Drew Brees all the way back in, you know, the late nineties when they're airing it out and nobody had seen that before in the big 10. And so then for Ohio state to kind of take that lead going from a who was run dominant urban, who was run dominant, then to Ryan day, who brings in these NFL concepts, all of the concepts are great. The receivers are great, but you have to have the trigger man. And Dwayne Haskins was that guy. He was really good. He was a cool customer. And, you know, for my money watching him, like, he had some of the best arm talent you were going to find. He threw a pretty ball. He was accurate. And, you know, it's just the process of learning how to play the quarterback position and continuing to learn how to lead a team. But he had really one of the great single seasons you were ever going to find. And and honestly, I don't, I'm, I'm almost stunned that he didn't end up winning the Heisman trophy that year based upon everything that he had reset at a place like Ohio state, you know, is known to obviously have a couple good players here and there. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I remember watching uh, – uh, well, you and I were doing it. it you were with um, yeah. Tess, and I was with uh, Adnan. And I remember walking down, and I'm sitting there watching JT – I think it was JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow, and that kid Tate mm-hmm. Martell. 
And I'm on the field watching, and they're throwing. And I look at Mark, was it Mark Pantonio yep. is the Pantone. recruiting coordinator? And I, yeah, Pantonio, he comes over. He goes, hey, Dan, how you doing? I go, man, I don't know much, but I know JT Barrett's your quarterback. But that guy right there, Dwayne Haskins, is the next quarterback because that's the kind of dude Urban Meyer likes right there, well, right? And, you know, Joe Burrow's become great. Martell's struggle. But it seemed like he had an energy to him too, right? An enthusiasm. Yeah, he was he – was- you know, a guy that smiled out of quiet confidence, and you have to have that to play the quarterback position. And, you know, that's what I think was so endearing to him, to all of his teammates, you know, at college and then the professional level is, you know, he had that smile. He always wanted to play at Ohio State. He was a guy from the D.C. area, and he really enjoyed playing. Like you said, Dan, when you watched him throw the football, and it's the same thing as watching people shoot a basketball. Like, there's certain dudes that just comes out of their hand a little bit differently, like no matter how many times I throw a football or no matter how many times I throw a baseball or shoot a basketball, like I'm never going to have that flick of the wrist that makes it look so effortless and so natural. And Dwayne Haskins was one of those guys who ultimately have that. So when you combine that, you know, the guy who, you know, loved the game, you know, was a competitor and, you know, had a, a very charismatic personality, very quiet, but it was a subtle charisma that people loved. You know, that's when you, you find usually a special quarterback. Yeah, and then he goes out and does what he does. Bobby, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm gonna throw you my theory. You ready? I, I know you know Adam Schefter. He may be a good friend of yours. I, I know him. I've, I've worked a game uh, with him, rode with him. I gotta tell you, Adam Schefter's tweet. Fine, if if people wanna make it about his career, there's nothing you can do about that. I I, I always tell people you can, you can make if somebody gets to that level. Or hell, even playing at Ohio State or me playing at Indiana. I say, you have no idea how hard it is just to get to that level. So if I didn't do as well as you think I should do, screw you. I got, you know, it it wasn't easy to get to the level that guys get to. Bobby, former players came out, yourself included. You weren't overly, you know, you weren't harsh, but you were critical. Lamar Jackson, really harsh. Bunch of different guys. Cam Hayward, really harsh. I don't like the fact that, how do I put this? I think it's a time for NFL players to rid themselves of these insiders that kind of, I don't know, they, 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 they're the gatekeepers of information, and information is power. The players actually can control this without having to make a guy like Adam Rich or out, without having to be beholden to him. Do you understand what I'm saying I, with I this? got it. I think there's been a movement with that. If you look at like the Players' Tribune and now with social media, a lot of guys are taking their announcements you know, into their own hands and they're announcing whether they're signing or getting traded or they're trying to push that stuff out there. And, you know, to start off with Adam, you know, we both worked with him. I like him. I think he's, you know, I, I find Adam to be a good guy. I think he, he, he gets so much information. I don't really think that there was any true malice in it. I, and I was like thinking to myself, cause I've heard him explain some of this stuff before. It's like, well, how am I trying to bring this and relate this to sports? And so, you know, what he said you know, was, was factually true, but it just wasn't pertinent to the situation. And then especially, you know, when you're announcing you know, that a guy has just passed away, I don't know if their on-field exploits, positive or negative, really hold any bearing in that announcement. I think that's what it was really troubling to me is, you know, unless there's something there from his playing career that led, like if the dude had some sort of substance abuse problem, but there was things like, okay, and we saw this happen and you want to say, well, he's battled with this and that. And it's like, okay, so it gives a little historical context to it. When a guy got hit by a car and you're thinking, man, like how does him struggling or even being a, 
you know, Hall of Famer, if Tom Brady gets hit by a car tomorrow, I don't need to see seven-time Super Bowl champ Tom Brady, you know, passes away. I just wanted to say, hey, Tom Brady, you know, NFL player, you know, passed away. This is what happened. More news to come later, whatever it is. Because like, they're human beings. You know, they have families. You know, Dwayne Haskins just got married. He has a wife. You know, there's a lot of people that really love him. And when you look at that, and you're just like, man, it's, it's taken back for a minute. And I think that's why so many players were really upset is, it could have been anybody. And the last thing you want written about, she was like, and something that I did in a, in a game. And we're talking a 24-year-old man struck down in the prime of his life. And so I, I do agree with you that this has been happening for a while. And, you know, your buddy Pat McAfee is doing it. You know, everybody's trying to push this stuff out. Like, hey, how can we, as players, former players, begin to kind of control the narrative and control the information and really take it directly to uh, the consumers and to the fans and be able to get it out there. And I think you're starting to see that. And social media has made that much easier to do. The technology is cheaper. It's easier to run than ever before. And so I do believe that you know, people are starting to see this and thinking this guy controls or that guy, whoever it is, control a lot of the narratives. We can kind of take, take our own control of this and produce it the way that we want. Yeah. Is this from uh like, like, is do agents allow? Like, if I were a player, if I were Lamar Jackson, I was passionate about, and he was very passionate. I'd tell my agent, "Look, I don't give a damn. You're not giving any information to Adam Schefter. I mean, I, I don't care. You're just not doing it." And that's how I would go about it. How much, like, how much, how much does Schefter help a normal guy? Does he help a guy? Is is a tweet from him worth money to a guy? What what's so, the story with so that? So here's here's the deal. You know, first of all, Lamar Jackson has his own agent, so it's not that big of a deal for him. Um, so he doesn't he, he or not his own agent. He is his own agent. Him and his mom are working through his contract, and I, he has an attorney that advises. So okay, yeah. it's a little bit different. But he, here's this is the one thing that people truly don't understand. And I didn't truly get this until I started playing in the NFL and then getting in the media on the other side. Because I'm always trying to figure out kind of why did this information get, get out? And I'm, I'm a believer now that any public information was meant to be public. Someone put it out there. There's no accidents when it comes to that. And so, okay, here's kind of how it works. You know, hey, um, I'm the agent. I'm going to feed information to media sources. And in doing that, like that's going to help the media source. It's going to grow them. They become you know, a star. But then in doing that, you write positive things about my players you protect some of my guys in the media. We do some of these different things. And so it becomes this, you know, this, this relationship that benefits both parties. And so anytime you see this, like, well, why would this person write something that's, you know, so positive or talk about this agent and they talk about how great the deal was or all these different things. And you have to always realize like, why did this information ultimately come from here? And that's why it's usually sourced guys have, they have guys that take care of each other. You know, it becomes that symbiotic relationship. And so it's if you dig in, you're like, well, analyst X said something really nice about player Y. Well, they did that because they have the same agent and they're getting pushed back and forth. And this is benefiting everybody. Yeah, I, and, and I, I, I'm for that. I think that's that's wonderful. Like when I was at Indiana as an assistant, a young assistant, Dick Vitale used to come in. And Coach Knight always used to say, and he had a great, we all have a great relationship with Dick, but he always used to say, hey, look, don't tell Dick anything that you don't want public. Like, if you want – what do we want public here? Like, do we want whatever it is? And But other than that, you don't tell Dick nothing. 
because you know what he's <laughs> he knows he's going to go out there. And to me, that's kind of the same. I don't know. It just drives me nuts that, you know, I, I think players in this day and age, like I always say this, you, I read the newspaper cover to cover. I mean, honest to God, when I was 10 years old, I'm reading the newspaper. I read the sports. I read the murders. I read everything. Uh, now, newspapers don't even matter. Hell, I got more followers than the newspaper has circulation. So it's a, it's a different world. But all right, I just, I just think players need to take more control. Bobby, you write about this, and I don't know what this means. What does a freaking black stripe mean at Ohio State? What does this mean, so, Bobby? You know, everybody has their kind of rite of passage. And this is one thing, and I, I heard Bill Belichick talk about this. And it was when, you know, you know, haze, you know the quote, hazing, and they, there were some issues. And listen, it gets serious because people can become, like, seriously harmed or, you know, have serious injuries, potentially even death. You've always seen it, you know, in fraternities. And a lot, a lot of times I have in the NFL taping guys to goalposts, which I don't think is a big deal, making them stand up and sing the fight song. But I heard Bill mm-hmm. Belichick talk about this, you know, as articulately as anybody. And it's like it's it, the hazing. It's not necessarily the act, but there's an initiation process to become part of a group. You know, it, whether you're, you know, it's your uh, you know, graduation day from boot camp in the army or at, like at Ohio State, you know, they, they pull black stripes off of the off of guys. And so your red stripe down the center of your helmet is covered with a black stripe. And then as a freshman or someone who transferred in, as soon as you have played well enough to warrant being part of the official team, that's when they peel off your black stripe. And Belichick talked to you, that is, that helped build team bonds. It helps build chemistry. Knowing that everybody that's here, they all had to go through the same process of whether, you know, you're Tom Brady, you're the 53rd guy on the roster, you're a five-star recruit or a walk-on who, you know what, has just played really well. And in doing that, it builds this collectiveness and so they started doing that, I believe, you know, under Urban and Ryan Day has continued it. And that, that's kind of the genesis of it, of, of why it's ultimately done. And it's a cool thing. And so they stand up, the guys there in front of everybody, they put it on social media, such and such player has done X, Y, and Z, he's playing his butt off, you know what? And then you get to peel the black stripe off. And it's a little bit of like, you know, post-practice, a minute-long ceremony where everybody looks at guy, all right, now you're one of us. And if you're someone who wants to get that done, okay, well, now you know what the stakes are to ultimately get there and to push forward. And so I, the black stripe removal process, uh, you know, you, you can think at, laugh at it and think it's a little corny, but I'm telling you, man, like any elite groups that you have, they have some sort of initiation process that really helps build those bonds. That makes sense. It makes Again, 100 years ago, we didn't have hazing at Indiana Night, would not have it. But I'll never forget putting on my practice gear, and it was Kent Benson's old gear, who was six foot 11, you know, 280 pounds. And I'm sitting here 6'5, 180. And it was like, yeah, well, you know, you got to earn a real <laughs> practice jersey. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, I'm running around soaking wet in this thing that weighs 1,000 pounds. I get that. And I, I liked it. I, you know, now it's like, I, now you come to college and you're supposed to be. I don't know, driving a Cadillac. I don't, I don't whatever. I don't know. I, it's just, but I saw you doing that, and I'm like, man, that's pretty cool. You also have said, okay, Brian Kelly goes from Notre Dame to LSU, and Brian Kelly obviously has everything he wants at LSU. What does Notre Dame – you mentioned the word adapt, and I think it's a great word. What does Notre Dame, in your opinion, have to do to adapt to be at the level where a guy would never leave there or a guy certainly wouldn't feel like he has more somewhere well, else? I mean, I think you said it to me first, Dan. You know, we were talking about BK leaving. You know, 
the the collar doesn't pay. And it's not that Notre Dame doesn't have the money. They've got a $20 billion endowment. You look at all the alums that have come through there. They have all the cash in the world. But I go back to my recruitment, and this was in 2000. And I took a visit there, and the weight room was the same as it probably was 40 years before. It was dingy. It was dark. Like, yeah, they had the Golden Dome and all these different things. But I'm like, man, like where I'm going to be spending time, yeah, the locker room's historic. But you want to try to preserve history but also kind of give it the amenities you know, if you're, you're rebuilding like an old school Cadillac, you're probably going to put like a nice, some sort of, uh, you know, radio stereo in there that can connect to your phone and give it the modern amenities with that classic touch. And so that's what, you know, the Oklahoma's, you know, the Florida's, the Bama's, the Georgia's, we're going to keep our history and preserve it. We're going to make sure that you have those modern amenities. And so I took my visit. I'm asking like, after you know talking to some players, like, well, how long do the players have to live in dorms? And like all students live in dorms four years. I'm like, sounds pretty terrible. Like, I, I don't want to live in a dorm for four years. I want to get an apartment. <laughs> and so, so then you fast forward, I don't know, maybe 10 years. Yeah, about 10 years. My brother's a GA there. He played for Brian in Cincinnati, went up to Notre Dame, GA'd for him. And yeah, they've got a newer facility. They've done a lot of things. But Brian Kelly's like, yeah, it may be newer, but we need football only. We need to make sure that we have a chef here all the time because LSU's got that. Bama's got that. Ohio State renovated. They put a kitchen in. You know, all these big-time programs, Clemson, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, like if you want to compete with them and you and you tell yourself you're up here, but here's the problem. It's like, a co- Dan, you coach, it's like a player telling you, I want to be great. I want to be great. Okay, buddy, you show up for practice five minutes before you put your jersey on and you're the first guy out of the building. You may tell me you want to be here. Your expectations are here, but your actions, they're down here. And that's where Notre Dame is. They have this gap. And Brian Kelly's saying, listen, and I think Notre Dame's a great program. Brian Kelly did a fantastic job. He got them right on the cusp of where they can, they're the best of really the non like five or six elite schools in any given year. And they can even compete with them sometimes. But just, you know, maybe the lack of the elite quarterback or they don't they, – I don't think they've had a cornerback drafted in the – they've had maybe one in the first three rounds in the last 10 years. And so getting players like that, they want all those amenities. They want a player-first model. They don't be living in the dorms, you know, for four years. They want schools that are embracing NIL. And, and we can sit here, Dan, and say, you know what? That's trash. That's not how college sports used to be. And we can shake your fist in the sky and all these different things. But, like – you can either be upset about it or you can embrace it. You think Nick Saban really likes the way football is played now? No. He wanted to play defense and do the, you know, play traditionally, but eventually he said, Hey, I got to either get on the board or I, I get off because I can't continue to win at the way at rate that I would like if I'm going to be so antiquated. And Notre Dame, like they they're basically like they epitomize kind of what the NCAA is. They're adapt, but it takes so long and the change is so long. And I don't know if it's the fact that you know, it's a private institution, you know, it's a Catholic base and all those things, but they just, they want to hold on to the past, embrace the past, but you also have to bring the past with you into the future. And if you're not going to be able to do that, then you're going to have a really hard time with everything that's happened in the last two or three years succeeding in college athletics. Well, I, Bobby, I, 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 to what you said, I wrote it down. Modern amenities with a classic touch. Let me, let me, let me expound on that a little bit. How many years does a renovation last before you got to re-renovate? You know, you know what I mean. Like, I just saw somebody. Who was it that I? I think it was 
God dang it, I just saw it. And it's like, yeah, we're renovating. I thought, man, I thought they just did so, that. Like, the bar is so high now, right? It is really is. Because the players' expectations. And recruiting is the lifeblood. And you want those guys want to be happy. You want to get them in there. And that's what's tough now is, you know, you got to get them here with all this stuff. And then you still have to find a way to develop players and make them tough. But I'll tell you this, from my own experience, just being close to Ohio State and seeing it all happen in real time, the Woody Hayes was built in like 87. They promised a new facility to me in 02. The thing got built the year after I left in 06. So there's 20 years where nothing really had happened. Then so they renovated in 06. Urban got there. They renovated in 12. They renovated again in like 14, 15. They did like more <laughs> stuff to it, I think, like two or three years ago. And then now they're talking about building a whole new facility. And just we got we can't bring this up to where it needs to be. Either it's a massive undertaking and putting a second floor on and all this other stuff. But it's literally where it is. And you can joke about it being the arms race, but if Alabama does it or Clemson does it and Georgia, then you're going to lose players. If that's not the case, they talk, you know, talking to Ryan days, like people care about facilities. They care about NIL. They care about development and they care about academics. Because those are the four things that when we look at players and the elite guys, we talk to, we want them to have all four. Cause those are important, but like, Hey, how are you going to help better us, set us up for future? Because these guys, the academics does matter because people are more in tune with their own business now and their own brand than ever before. But we want to work out at a nice place, have the best medical care, the best physical therapist, you know, dry needling, massage therapist, all the stuff that you get in the NFL. You want to have that. You want to be developed at an incredibly high level. And we want to be on par, being able to make sure that we can earn off of the field and setting ourselves up you know, financially should the NFL not ultimately work out as well. So, you know, those are kind of the main things. And if you're faltering in one of them, you're going to have a hard time continually winning kid, winning over kids on a national scale. Bobby, let me ask you, let me go back to Notre Dame real quick. You talked about your brother being there. Let's just say for the sake of argument, Ohio State's here. Where Where is Notre Dame? Is it here? Is it down here? You know, where, where are they in terms I, of I, I think – like I uh, let me let me also say I think I think Columbus and I talked to Urban about this I think the NIL stuff in Columbus it's the perfect place because of all the businesses you only have professional what hockey I guess uh, soccer it's a perfect place for a kid to go well, it's tremendous because it really encapsulates the whole state and I believe Ohio is the seventh or eighth largest state in the country so I, and it, most yeah. everyone there cares about the Buckeyes at some on some level so it, it helps there. I would say like Notre Dame, they're not terribly far apart, but you know, you've seen this before where like, the, and it used to be like this in women's basketball and it's kind of flattened out a little bit where you may be the sixth best team, but the difference between the sixth best and the fifth best might be a 15 point spread. And I don't think the, the spread is quite that large for Notre Dame is where maybe an Ohio state or a Bama is like, cause they just need to do some things and then they have the money to do it. They can afford, like, it's just a matter of their desire and their willingness to say, hey, I know that all of our students live in dorms, but maybe our athletes don't need to after their second year and get them out and get them some opportunities and embrace NIL and to make sure that, hey, you know what, if you want to get a burger at 10 o'clock on a Thursday night, Dan Dockage can go walk over and they're going to make you a hamburger. Like that was something that didn't exist forever, but now it's something that the NCAA you're allowed to have happen. And so players like that, they want to be able to embrace and enjoy it. Yeah, I don't blame them. And I'm, I'm so with you on the other thing that you said, Bobby, which is, man, you 
if I would tell my coaches, the only thing I want to hear you guys talking about the NAIL is how great it is and how great we're going to be at it, right? That's it. Whatever you believe, I don't care. But I want to hear how great it is and how great we're going to be at it for everybody. That's There's no other way to go about it, right? Because then here's the thing. For so many years, like people love Dabo Sweeney for his player first and all this stuff and loving everybody. And he's coming out like I'm. he's vehemently opposed to it. And that's great. And you're still going to probably be able to get some guys. But if everything, if all else is equal and I can go make $50,000 a year going one place and zero going to another because you're not going to really embrace it on that level, I mean, it's really hard to ask a kid who may not come from a lot to turn that down, given the fact that it literally everything else is equal. I'm not talking about, you know, going to you know, Ohio state versus going to like a ball state. But if you're talking about like Clemson versus Ohio state or Clemson versus Bama or Clemson versus Georgia, and those other schools are going to provide these opportunities there and they're going to embrace them and say, Hey, you might necessarily love this, but we're going to try to do it the right way. I mean, you may not love your kids being texted and being on the phone, but understanding like that's a part of the world now. And so you can, you can be angry about it, but you're not going to change it. It's exactly right. No, that that is that is exactly right. Uh, you know, I, I, I let me let me go back to what you said about Dabo Sweeney. Like, you can't walk the comments back. You and I both know that guys use that against you. He's not exactly. I mean, Clemson is wonderful. They've made it great, but it's not exactly Alabama or Ohio State where you have an entire state behind you. I mean, I think that's dangerous for Dabo to be. I'll give him credit. It's dangerous for him to be that honest, is it not? I always respect people, Dan, that are going to come out and say exactly what they think and what they believe. But that may be to the detriment of some of Clemson's recruiting. And they've done a great job and they've developed players and they've been fantastic with it. Guys go there. They ultimately, you know, love the environment and the family community he promotes within. But, you know, when you're asked about this and I would love to sit down and have a one-on-one with them because I I don't love the NIL. Like that's something I think is is ultimately great for college athletics because it's come down to be, you know, a function of recruiting. I was hoping, Hey, You go to school somewhere, you have a couple, you play, you sit for a year, you play for a year. And then after you play, you earn some money. And then, you know, it's based on your play, not on promises for recruiting. But Dabo Sweeney's out there talking about, hey, I'm not going to apologize for making what I make. Good. You shouldn't. It's a free market. We live in a capitalist society. Absolutely. But then don't tell me that those same rules don't apply to the players. And he's talking about the CEO for Delta Airlines versus the guy putting the bags on the plane, how they're equally important, but they make different salaries. Like that may be true, but your players are also making you there. There's a big difference in the skill level there of what we're talking about. These guys have elite skills and elite traits that are marketable to many other programs. And so if you don't want them or want to, you know, deal with the the necessary evil that comes with them, then you're going to have a hard time getting those guys. And, and you're asking them to come like you're, you know what I mean? You're, Hey, the guy working the bags, he needs a job. You're begging guys that have options to go wherever, and you're begging them to come here. You know, the guy working the bags is applying for a job, hoping to get the job. You're like, hey, man, let me do everything I can to get you to come play for me. So I think I, I don't think that, that analogy even I, – I, I, he's wrong there. 
He's definitely wrong there. He is. And you know, the, the function is of college. I mean, it's, it was lobbied. The NFL set it up. So they have ready-made stars coming out. It's not like the NBA where they miss on all these high school guys and one and duns. You know, they have, per, they have polished products, Dan, that have fan bases that follow them. And so on draft day, it's a huge spectacle. They go to their team. You know, it, you, they're known quantities, much more so than just about any other sport. They're ready-made stars. And they've done that, but it's three years. So you're forced to go to college. And listen, I'm, I think it's a good thing. I'm, I'm not ultimately saying it's not because there is some learning and some maturation and development that hopefully should occur during that time. But like, if I'm an elite computer programmer and I can do something that no one else in the world can do, then I'm a freshman in Indiana and I get a call from a company in Silicon Valley and they want to pay me 3 million bucks a year to go out there. I'm going to probably leave college and go be able to do that. Sports is the only way where you're actually funneled and you're prohibited from potentially maximizing your earnings once you're you know 17 or 18 years old. So that's where I think he you know, these players they have to go to school because that's their only option. And so Dabo, like you've got to understand that. And it just he sounds a little tone deaf, I think, right now, and especially with recruiting and how important it is. Be the first question I'd ask if I was an elite guy. Be the first question I'd ask if I was Trevor Lawrence coming out of high school and you want me? Okay, what, what is all this about? What do you, what, you know, I'm sure he's got a great answer because he's a smart guy. Hey, last thing before I let you go, is the Hutchinson kid, is the, Hutchinson kid the number one pick? Oh, goodness. Maybe him or Thibodeau. I'm not sure. It's, it's, you know, when there's not an elite quarterback or like an elite offensive tackle, then that's when it always gets muddy. I don't think any team wants to truly take a defensive player number one, just because there's not necessarily a value in it. But I, I do believe that that he is probably a very he'll, he'll be a high performing player for a long time. Will he be a you know a JJ Water, Demarcus Ware, a Von Miller? I, I don't know if he'll be that, but I think he'll be a guy who will be a really good starter, make some Pro Bowls, and you're not going to regret drafting him. You probably just didn't wish you took him number one overall, and you probably took him somewhere in the five or six range. But I just don't know if there's that elite, elite player that anybody would look at this year and say, that's the guy we want number one overall for sure. You're the best, man. That was a great conversation, Bobby. Thanks for the time, man. What you got? What do you got? Cops Corner today? What you got? Oh, goodness, man. We got some of that Tom Brady news with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, a little more spring spring ball updates and stuff with Ohio State and everything going on there. So enough to enough to keep it busy. Hey, last thing, last last thing. Did you like? What did you think of Arian saying um, basically that Tom Brady and him got too much credit, but he emphasized the Brady. He said way too much credit. What did you think of that? Uh, you know, about him getting traded. I think you were talking, you dropped out a little bit there, but him potentially getting traded. I, I respect the fact that Bruce Arians say, hey, we're not going to trade him. This is our guy going forward, and they were going to hang on to him uh, no matter what. And I respect that because Tom Brady is one heck of a player, and I would not give him up no matter no matter what. I mean, I know he wanted to pry himself out of there potentially, but you got to roll with him. Appreciate you, Bobby. Thanks, Thank you. man. Love talking to Bobby. Bobby's the best, man. Bobby, Bobby, that's a great conversation about Dabo Sweeney. I wonder if that's going to come back to bite Dabo Sweeney as we move forward. All right, I ain't mad about it. You know what? I ain't mad about it. What aren't I mad about? You're going to find out what I'm not mad about when we come back. But I ain't mad about it. There's some things that are happening in this world that everybody's mad about. But you know who ain't mad about it? Two thumbs. This guy. I ain't mad about what we're going to come back and talk about. You might be. Let me know. Be back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. 
a lot of fun with Bobby Carpenter. This show's getting good. I'll tell you what. Um, back in the day, 2007, 2008, excuse me, which seems like a long time ago, I suspended a kid named Jamarcus Ellis when I was a coach at Indiana. And Jamarcus Ellis needed to be suspended, so I suspended him. So he gets suspended, and I say, hey, man, you know, you're doing this. I'm not, you're not going to Penn State. Oh, man, I ain't mad about it. And in our family, I ain't mad about it is always funny. It's, I'm sorry. It is always funny. And I ain't mad about it. I looked at him. I go, what are you talking about? You ain't mad about it. I'm a little mad about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I liked him, but he was nuts. <laughs> but anyway, so I ain't mad about it, ladies and gentlemen, is a thing. It is a thing that I like. And in our family, anytime, hey, man, hey, you, you want to go out? Uh, you want to go out to dinner? Yeah, I ain't mad about it. Hey, uh, how about, you know, you go shovel the snow? Okay, I ain't mad about it. And then we say we are mad about it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm mad about that. But I ain't mad about it, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, this is, look at me real quick. See this? When you have a bald head and you're old, you go like this. When you're disgusted, when you're just like, what the hell are we doing? What are we doing in this world? Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida. Ron DeSantis wanted and did give, started an initiative. Started an initiative um, basically saying this. We want fatherhood to matter. We want fathers to matter. We want fathers as a part of kids' lives. Um, so they start this initiative. It's about fathers. Um, and if you want, I'm going to make sure I have this right. So Tony Dungy is a part of this initiative. DeSantis has signed a bill promoting programs, listen to this, that will help fathers spend more time at home and act as role models for at-risk kids. Ron DeSantis signed a child welfare bill today that promotes responsible fatherhood in Florida. The idiots on Twitter. Let me back up. So Tony Dungy, who has been a big advocate of what is called all-pro dads, all right, Tony Dungy has been on billboards here in Indy. He has, he has donated his time. He's been in meetings. He's on boards of all pro dads. Tony Dungy decides that he's going to support Ron DeSantis. All right? One of the great failures in this world, and I don't give a damn what you think, is our lack of fathers. Fatherless homes. Listen to this. According to the census... 19.5 million children, more than one in four, live without a father. Now, I'm going to tell you something about this, and I don't give a damn uh, what purple-haired crazy person comes after me. When my father died, I was about 50. It was eight years ago. And it changed me, even at that age. I didn't have direction for a while. Imagine if you grew up without a father. So the bill gives $70 million in funding to foster youth and struggling fathers. It fortified, 
It aims to fortify resources for the Department of Children and Family and tends to help more fathers involve themselves in their children's life. So this bill gets signed. He wants also DeSantis to hold absentee fathers accountable for not paying their fair share. He gave better homes and family. He's trying to do something. Tony Dungy thanked DeSantis in a speech. He thanked him for helping craft a playbook to, quote, tackle the issues of fatherless homes. Dungy said, I asked Abe Brown, how do these young boys, 19, 20, 21, get in prison? He told me it's not social economic, it's not racial, it's not education, it's none of that. 95% of these boys did not grow up with their father. So, of course, Twitter loses their mind uh, and accuses Dungy of attacking children and the LGBT community. Stop it. Stop. Who get? Stop it. Hey, look. This Shayna Wright, Tony Dungy has been anti-black, homophobic, and into respectable politics since forever. Would not be surprised if he was a member of the GOP. Same goes for Mike Tirico. Stop being, shut up. Somebody actually smart said this, Miles uh, Commodore. Black men in America make up about 6% of U.S. population, but black males make up half the prison population in this country. A huge reason for this is lack of fathers in the black community. Tony Dungy and Ron DeSantis should be applauded. George Reitster is a former tight end. People coming for Dungy for standing with Governor DeSantis after signing a fatherhood initiative or what's wrong with America. Novel concept. People are neither all good or not bad. Maybe the, maybe the governor you don't like did a good thing. How is it possible in this world that we hate something for father? See, here's the deal. I, I don't care what your lifestyle is, but your lifestyle isn't going to dominate. I don't care. You do whatever you want to do. You put whatever you want out there. But it shouldn't dominate other lifestyles. In fact, it shouldn't dominate a vast majority of lifestyles. It shouldn't dominate the, what the hell is trying to happen for kids that don't have fathers. I mean, I'm so tired of us being so afraid to stand up to these different communities. Screw that. Good for Tony Dungy. Good for Ron DeSantis. Good for Florida. Put more fathers. Give more fathers opportunity. I've said forever, fathers, get off your backside. I say it all the time. Heck, Obama came out and talked about the number one crisis in the United States is fatherless homes. You know what the current clown does? The current clown says white supremacy is the biggest problem. How idiotic. How idiotic. And look, come at me, whatever initials you got, I don't care. But the idea that Tony Dungy, a guy who has been, this has been his thing, is catching grief for standing with a governor that just provided $70 million to help youth have a freaking father. So what? It didn't go to your group, the 70 million. You'll be all right. Hell, your group is like 1% of the freaking population. But you got to dominate everything. If you support this, that means you're anti that. It's all crap. And I've had enough of it. I have. I've had enough. Give more money to fathers. Or help fathers. And fathers, how about you stop whining? How about you stop having kids? And how about you stop being a damn dad? Any, anyone can go around having sex and producing kids. Can you be a dad, you chicken blanks? Get out there and be a dad.
Well, easy for you to say. You're right, it is. You know why it's easy for me to say? Because I have a father, or had a father, that showed me what the hell it is. But what, because every dime doesn't go to your specific thing, or because a guy is perceived as anti-this, anti-that? Hell, it drives me nuts. I can't wait to talk to Allison Williams about it. It drives me nuts. Every dime, you got to go where, or we're going to blast everything. Screw that. I've said forever, Twitter's the worst thing in the world because it gives complete entitled idiots a voice. And every little slight, it's all, it's all crap. Uh, Elon Musk refusing a board position on Twitter is awesome. I ain't mad about it. I ain't mad about it even a little bit. Because Elon Musk can buy more Twitter now. If he's on a board, apparently he can't. I want Elon Musk to buy Twitter. I wish I could buy Twitter. If I bought Twitter, I would cancel it. I'd take a huge loss. I would eliminate it and let some other guy start something else. But Elon Musk on Twitter has all the little Wokies, mad, and we're going to cater to them. I'll tell you what I would do with all the little Wokies that can't think outside their own thoughts. And not only all the little Wokies, but every freaking buddy that can't look at something else and say interesting, as opposed to saying cancel. I'd get rid of you so fast your head would spin. If I were the college president, it would be unbelievable. First day I got there, I would sit everybody down, have a discussion, see who can't think outside their own little brain and get rid of them and pay off their tenure. Honest to God, let's get some people in here that can think, can have conversations, can actually say, well, you know what? I'm this, but certainly I respect that. We don't have that in our country. We don't have, we have nothing. All we have is, well, can you believe Tony Dungy back said something about Michael Samps back 20 years ago? Shut up. Shut up. You know what? Screw you. Tony Dungy's done more good in his life than 99.99999%. He's been a better role model. He's been in prisons here walking around. That's amazing to me. Well, he, he's anti-LGBT. No, he's not. No, he's not. He made a statement about what he believes. If you don't like it, fine, lash out. But shut the hell up when it comes to helping us something that's a real cause here, which is fatherhoods, or uh, uh, excuse me, fatherless children. God dang. And I hope, every, I hope people have the, you know what, to stand up against this kind of idiocy. You know what I mean? Uh, it's unbelievable. Dungy's a great dude. He is a great dude. And the idea that somebody, well, he doesn't support my LGBT. He doesn't support that. Shut up. Tired of it. He supports everything. I've never seen, I've never heard one time Tony Dungy ever, ever, ever been in a position where he has been, I don't know, mean, nasty to anybody. He said Michael Sam would be a distraction 10, 20 years ago, whatever it was. Get over it. You don't like it? Fine. He's just telling you how he feels as a coach. Man. It's unbelievable. It really is. I... The, 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 the LG, everybody's mad. Just, just stop. That's not, nothing to do with you. Not one damn thing to do with you.
Kid Rock and Trump on tour, and I love it. I ain't mad about it. Because why? I don't need Trump, but I love Kid Rock. I'll tell you this right now. A friend of mine worked in the White House. He said one of the greatest days, it was Sarah Palin, Ted Nugent, Donald Trump, and Kid Rock coming down the stairs. He said it was unbelievable. If you don't like Kid Rock, that's on you. I didn't like Kid Rock until what? I went to a concert. And then guess what? Give me some Kid Rock. Hey, Lee! We going to Kid Rock? The voice is going. That wasn't very manly. I don't blame her for not answering. Yeah, we're going to Kid Rock. Apparently, Donald Trump gives the introduction and everybody loses their mind. Good. You don't like it? Good for you. Tough. Don't go. That's simple. You don't like it. I want to see Donald Trump. Good. Don't go. I want to see Kid Rock. I'm going to see Kid Rock. Donald Trump opening up. I can't wait to see the crowd's reaction. Well, he's this, he's that. Shut up. Donald Trump only became a racist when he ran for president. Before, he was like the guy. I mean, look at the pictures. I mean, honest to God. He runs for president. You got to find a narrative, and now he's the worst human being alive. Screw you. Screw that. I ain't having it. Not having it at all. It's garbage. I'm going to see Kid Rock. If Donald Trump is the guy in the video, better. Kid Rock and Cool and the Gang and Uncle Cracker, one of the best concerts that I have ever been to. And if you're not some closed-minded jackass that says, well, he's a misogynist. He's this. He said this. Shut up. Shut up. Seriously. Kid Rock. Bus trip. I own a bus along with some of my buddies. My boy Funky, Toby. Big fat Bob. Yeah. We got to have a bus. We own a bus. We had a bad bus, but the bus got hit by a trash truck. Boom. Unfortunately for Ray's trash, we have lawyers, my brother and another that are on our little deal in our bus. So what Ray's, because they screwed up our bus, it was their fault. They got us a new bus. So bus trip, Kid Rock, LMB, which means love my brothers, and away we go. That's right. We're going. Mandatory attendance, LMB. I'm in. Lee, bus trip, Kid Rock. Done. In. Well, you're, you're racist, sexist. Shut up. Just shut up. I'm going to see a concert that I like. Leave me alone. Kid Rock in concert is awesome. He's flying. He's playing the guitar. He's smoking a cigar. He's wickety-wickety. He's got bourbon going. He's the best. And I'll tell you this. When Cool and the Gang came out with the horns, oh, 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 oh. well, you can't go because in, in 2016, Donald Trump said this. I don't care. Hey, look, let me tell you something. George Bush Sr., longtime mistress. George Bush Jr. had all kind of uh, cocaine problems. President Clinton, he's on pedophile island. Tell me one that isn't. You know why supposedly Ronald Reagan married Nancy? You know why Ronald Reagan married Nancy. It was all over Hollywood. JFK, stooping upon stooping. Don't even try it. Don't even try it. I don't get my morals from a politician. I'll never get my morals from a politician. I don't give a damn what a politician's morals are. I don't want to hear the word inflation. I want the market going and gas prices down. Now, I would add protect the country. 
Don't give me this crap. Well, you know, did you see where he said grab you? Shut up. Don't care. Don't care. Do not care. Don't care. None. Zero. Don't care. If you're getting your morals from the president and you're against frickin' dads, I don't know what to tell you. You're an idiot. Feels good. We need more people like me expressing. So Tony Dungy's a bad guy because he's into fathers. Okay. All right. And you get your morals from a president. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Give me a headache. Uh, I'm not really into the NBA trade deadline. But I'll tell you this. My Pacers... The worst dude to have on your team in the NBA, in my humble opinion, is Malcolm Brogdon. They call him the president. Malcolm Brogdon is the worst. He doesn't play. He's a politician in the locker room. Virginia won a national championship after he left. The Bucs won an NBA championship after he left. He's come to the Pacers. He's making $22 million. He is awful for a team. He's had three coaches fired here. Uh, he has. Don't at me, people. Never plays. So if I'm the Pacers, Russell Westbrook, I don't know him. I'm tired of him. The fashion thing, good for you. Go be a fashionista. But he did lead the Lakers in damn near everything this year. So if the Pacers decide that they are go- going to go get Russell Westbrook and get rid of Malcolm Brogdon, I am all in. Let me explain this. If the Pacers said, we're going to trade Malcolm Brogdon for this red shirt, I am all in. Like, I'm not big in the cap space, but I will tell you this. Whoever trades for Malcolm Brogdon is a fool. Whoever trades for Malcolm Brogdon should be called every single time you want to trade for somebody because they are a fool. But, you know, he can really play. No, he can't. No, he can't. You know what Malcolm Brogdon is? Good enough to get you fired. We've talked about it on this show. Good enough to get you fired. What does that mean? That means the game is over and the owner comes over and you're talking to him and you're like, yeah, how you doing? Well, why'd we lose, coach? I mean, Mal- Brogdon's really good. He had 25 and 10. Yeah, but he didn't guard anybody. He's a pain in the ass in the locker room. It's, it's, we gotta... Pacers have dudes that just say, yeah, I ain't playing. T.J. Warren averaged about 28 in the bubble. He ain't played since. Yeah, I ain't playing. Really? Oh, okay. All right. While we're doing this show, I'm getting an entire concert set up. My boy Funky's watching. And I'm getting, oh, by the way, Funky Beers, Firebirds, Friday. Um, I'm getting an entire concert or a, a, a bus trip set up to Kid Rock. Oh, man, you're racist because you're going to Kid Rock, whatever you want to call me. Am I racist? Fine. If that's what you're going to say, because I'm going to a concert that I enjoy the music and the energy and the performer, fine. Well, Donald Trump said you're racist. Fine. He's anti-LGBT. He's anti-this. He's at Oh, fine. Whatever you think, fine. I, I'm going to a concert. I'll tell you one thing about a Kid Rock concert. You will never in your life. This I guarantee Listen to me closely. 
You will never, ever, ever in your life see more women giving the middle finger or more t-shirts with the middle finger or saying the F word on them than anywhere in your life. Ever. Ever. That's it. Ever. Promise you. If you go to Clips, which is the outdoor theater here, which everybody goes to, about 20,000, if you go to Clips and you see Kid Rock, you will see more women flipping people off uh, towards the stage because what they do, you will see more people with FU shirts or finger given. You will see more than you've ever seen in your life. You will. You want to know one of the reasons I love doing this show? Because I can say things like I just said. Could you imagine saying that at ESPN? So when people say, oh, man, they fired you at ESPN. No, no, they didn't. No, they did not. I decided, hey, look, Dockage out. Can't wait to talk to Allison about this. I've had enough. You all are seriously criticized. Not you all, but people are seriously criticizing Tony Dungy. I hope and I hope and I hope that if those of you that use Twitter, I would hope that you support Tony Dungy. I don't care if you don't like the Colts. Who cares? I don't care if you don't like Ron DeSantis. Who cares? Get over yourself. Seriously, get over yourself. We need fathers. We need fathers like we need air. Period. Honest to God. And I'm 50 years old and I lost my dad. And it changed me. It changed me. It changed me. It changed me. I'm telling you. It made me looser. I didn't have that accountability that I had at 50. Can you imagine at 12? Imagine at 15 with all the influences around you not having a dad and somebody's going to be mad about what? 70 million going to help dads? What is wrong with our country? That's the biggest question. What is wrong with our country? When are people like you and me going to stand up and say, screw you? Like, one of the things that I'm thinking about doing just because is, is, is starting a business. I'm not even sure what business. And telling everybody that's a pain in the ass, I'm hiring because I want to hire who I want to hire. I'm not listening to all the noise. And that doesn't mean not hire African-American or not hire white or not hire gay. No, 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 not at all. Not even close. I mean, I'm from a world, Gary, Indiana, where we had a lot of stuff. My real first friend died of AIDS long time ago. I mean, I'm saying I'm not from Southern Indiana sitting around, not having been around some stuff, but I'm so tired of people telling us how we're supposed to think to the point where you're actually criticizing these idiots actually criticizing somebody for putting earmarking $70 million to help kids at risk and fathers. God bless you. Dan, I was nine when I lost my old man. If not for my grandfather and the discipline, I would have, cro- I would have crossed the line regularly, guaranteed. That's from a very, very popular, famous NFL guy right there watching the show. I don't give a damn. Come at me all you'd like, all you different freaking communities that are always victims. Come at me however you want, but I'll stand by what I said right here. 
We need fathers. We need initiatives to help fathers. Fathers only seem perfect to their kids. In real life, they're not. And anybody that opposes that, God bless you. You have the right to oppose anything you want. But I have the right to tell you to kiss my you-know-what because you're dead wrong. And anybody going at Tony Dungy for that, you're dead wrong. But we listen to these. And I did 20 minutes on these idiots. 20 minutes on these complete fools that are going after Dungy. It's unbelievable. It's just what the hell is up with our world. All right, we're going to come back. I'm going to ask Allison Williams about it. It just drives me nuts. Just absolutely freaking drives me nuts. It does. I don't get mad much. I think I'm going to start getting more angry on this show. You know what I mean? I do. I think I need to. I think, uh, you know. Yeah, Dan, this is from Coop. Tony Dungy is the worst because he believes fathers are critical to the family unit. Wokeness is a cloak that evil people wear so they can carry out their atrocities and save face. You got it. Uh, John Gordon, the author, says, I love Tony Dungy. You're damn right. Me too. Absolutely. Call me all your names, man. Hell, I got I got in trouble at ESPN for, for not going in a pool. With two idiot prof- with one idiot woman professor, I don't even know. I, the world is nuts. Y'all are nuts. I'm here to save it. We'll be right back. Allison Williams and I will save the world when we come back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Uh, the level of intellect on this show just has gone up exponentially because Allison Williams, who, by the way, everybody in America owes an apology to, joins us. A-dubs, I just went off because I, I don't understand how our world, our world is mad at Tony Dungy and Ron DeSantis because they signed a bill to give $70 million to help dads be better dads. What what the hell are we doing in this country, A-dubs? Um. We have lost our damn minds. I will tell you that much. Honest to God, it it, it seems like there is, well, first of all, there's this automatic, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't like it because I don't like you reaction, right? So if we're not aligned politically, it doesn't matter if it's like a bill to save puppies and give clean water to everybody in the planet. Something's wrong with it because we are not aligned politically, so we can't agree on anything. If we can't agree um, to help strengthen American families and and provide support for uh, people to be better better parents and fathers, um, where are where have our values gone? And my thing is too. And look, I, I haven't looked into the bill like completely. I'm I'm not into the weeds on it at all. Um, it sounds like a very very um, a great initiative, right? And my thing, like if Tony Dungy supports it, I support it. <laughs> he's one of the best people right. we have in this country. And he's been a voice of reason and um, intellect and wisdom for so many people. He's been a mentor to so many. He is um, a man of great faith, of great morals. And I don't care or if he aligns, like, like who he aligns oh. with, if, if Tony Junji says this is a good thing, it's probably a good thing. And if we're at the point where we're attacking him because he's standing next to somebody we don't agree with politically, um, problems probably with you, not the bill or Dungy or what, or what's going on because he is right. one of the best people you're going to find out there. That's exactly right. 
And we're all supposed to sit here and be scared of whatever freaking group. Uh, you know, I, it's amazing. It's just freaking amazing. Yeah. Like every is every dime supposed to go to some group that represents two percent of the people in the country? Is every dime supposed to go there? Is every thought supposed to go there? We can't have both. We can't. We can't help. You know, everyone. Everything's supposed to go to somebody that feels marginalized or victimized every time. Is that what we're supposed it, it to do? It seems like there's also like this concerted effort to attack the traditional American families, and I've I've never been um, a, a very conservative person prior to this. I've always considered myself probably a bit more progressive, but it, it just seems like every time you turn around, um, people are trying to take away power from parents. People are trying to um, dismiss the importance of family and like core family American values. And that's what's weird to me because that was the one area that I felt like everybody united around, especially in this country, in, in years past was this idea of the importance of family. Um, and it seems like now there's an attack on children, on families, on um, like traditional marriages. It, it, do, it doesn't add up. I don't understand why. Um, I know, you know, there's theories out there about how it's easier to break a country that loses its, its core values and traditions. Um, but I, I'm not sure why something that supports parents is controversial and something that encourages a nuclear family is, is controversial. Um, it seems like any time you do something to try and preserve uh, child, you know, child parental rights and so forth, it's, it's problematic. So, and not aligned with um, a certain side. And, and that to me is really concerning because there's a greater issue at play here. And it seems like it's really an assault on a lot of the morals and and values that this country has been built around, um, you know, and, and like this to me seemed like such a blatantly obvious, okay, easy to get behind bill. And so did the one that DeSantis passed that requires that all high school students pass uh, the financial literacy test, which is like how this is not already required is, is asinine. I mean, the shit you learn in high school that you never use again, and then you don't know how to balance a checkbook or understand interest rates or how loans work and credit cards work. And you know, what happens if you only make that minimum payment and the, the type of basic things that you need to survive, especially financially in the world are not taught in high school is asinine. And so he put into effect a, a law that would re require high school students to pass a financial literacy test. No brainer, right? Like, like why people weren't following suit on that initiative. And now he's supporting families and fathers. And that's a problem. Um, I don't know. I feel like we're getting so programmed to just despise anything that doesn't um, start with certain initials and support certain agendas. And, and yeah. we've lost our way a little right. bit. There's no question. I mean, if you don't support LGB, mm -hmm. whatever the, the whatever it is, it's a bad thing. It's horrible. You're anti this. You're anti. I don't get. I look. I, I there is no there is no there's no excuse for not no just because for not helping all. Like if if just because you're helping a father doesn't mean you're anti LGBTQ. It, that doesn't mean it doesn't right. mean that it means you're helping something that the vast majority of people in this country are involved in, which is parenthood mm -hmm. and a family. I, yeah. And, I think. and why why do we I have to act like anything um, that's like a traditional male role is automatically bad? Right. I mean, like that's where we went with all this. Everything is toxic masculinity. 
um, there is a, there is a time and a place and a necessity for like the traditional male role. Uh, I see it parenting now, like there are things that, that my husband will do and, and expect of my son that I just simply wouldn't. And I, I have to be quiet. Like, yeah, I mean, like that's his dad. Like he needs that voice. There is a balance that we have to try and strike and walk. And I think um, we have gone, like the pendulum has gone so far the other way. Like anything that's masculine is now bad, but now we also can't define what a woman is. So we're like, like (laughs) we're in this existential crisis where everybody's identity and natural um, instinct and order is being attacked. And, you know, if you're too masculine, you're toxic. And if you're like a proud woman who's proud of what her body is able to do and the the biological differences that are required for our human race to survive, you're, you know, you're like transphobic. So it's, it's a very bizarre time to realize what we have done to to one another and how we've taken these differences that used to be kind of celebrated. And now we're, we're not supposed to talk about them or we're condemning them and everything is bad and you believe like a woman is a woman, you're a bad person. And um, instead of saying like, no, these are necessary functions of society in a healthy um, society and relationship oftentimes. But if you say that you're like anti-feminist or or what have you. Um, So I think we, I think we need to kind of check ourselves a little bit and ask ourselves, well, why has this worked in any other culture for so so many years? Like it's not all bad. Um, There, there's a role for it. Can we all strive to be better, more accepting people? Sure. But to, to disregard our basic natural human instinct and, and the things that make us a man and the things that make us a woman and the things that make us a strong dad and a strong woman and a strong man, um, are not inherently bad. Man, you speak well, lady. <laughs> Do I? Because it doesn't always you. make sense up here. <laughs> and it just floods out. No, I'm listening to you. And, man, I'm, I, it's like, man, it's like I tell Lee all the time, like, God, when you speak, it sounds so smart. When I speak, it sounds so no. boom, boom, it jumps over around. But, man, you're so right. Like, um, there are certain... You know, when you get into these situations, it's almost like you have to establish, does this make sense? You have to establish a moral high ground and then you can make your point. Like, cause whoever establishes the moral high ground seems to win in this. Does that, mm-hmm. like all of a sudden, Dony, D- Dungy is bad be, and DeSantis is bad. Not for this bill. I've seen nobody criticize, you know, anything inside the bill. Like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes there's a bill and then there's all this stuff in there that gets in the way. Nobody's criticizing any of it. They're just, to your point, criticizing the people that are there for things that they may have said 10 years ago. That's it. That's all they got. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. It it is. Um, And I think it's eye-opening. I mean, it is, at least for me, again, to see the people that they are attacking because it's people who you traditionally would not. And so that's when you kind of know that there is no rationale, rationale, there are no bounds. Um, They are painting everybody now with a broad stroke. And it's, I I don't know, maybe it goes back to this like notion of identity politics. Like this has become, instead of I am this person and I feel this way on these issues. So I vote this way. It's like, this is who I am. And this is what I must defend at all costs. And it's like anything that attacks this party is an attack on me. And I'm like, super, like it's, 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 I don't know. It's this identity politics that has permeated people that I feel like it doesn't allow them to think critically. They just see, um, they see what party is associated with something. They immediately have to attack it. And, and that's just 
that's just dumb. <laughs> like it's just it's dumb. dumb. It's just right. dumb. You've lost yes. your ability to think critically. You've you've given your judgment to people um, who probably don't even really serve you. So I I think people need to stop. Like they need to stop um, and and ask themselves what they truly feel and truly think instead of just saying, well, this is where my party line. So this is the way I'm supposed to go. I mean, and we, and we do that to our politicians too. Like we expect them always to vote according to party lines and that's the expectation. And if you don't deviate, it's a problem. And it, it's, um, it's created this really gnarly division because now instead of being like, oh, well, we're all friends. We just, you know, feel differently on certain policies. It's like, nope, you're a Republican or you're a Democrat and you're on that side and we can't get along or agree on anything. And um, that's just, that's, again, it's just dumb because we have more in common than we have apart. And we just don't ever focus on that. And if you can't, if you can't figure out like, okay, hey, this is, this is still Tony Dungy, who's been one of the most stand-up human beings of the last hundred years like of our generation. Um, hey, maybe like there's some good to this and maybe there's some, some things that uh, could be positive in this instead of just attacking it. Well, you've lost your ability to think critically. You know, it's interesting to your point right there, that last point that you made, what, apparently soft drink companies think that because so-and-so is standing up for their product, we're going to buy it, right? I mean, that's what they think. So you got a guy standing up, Dungy, who's, this isn't his product. This is just him saying, hey, I've been involved in all pro dads my whole life. I, I've had kids. I've had tragedy with my kids. I've lived it, you know, on and on, supporting something. But yet, man, oh, man, immediately we just crushed. I've always thought it was incredibly stupid. And I'm going back to when I was in high school. I've always thought it to be, and you know me, I'm dumb. But if I could figure this out, I assume everyone could figure it out. I always, I, I always, the only thing I ever talked politics with anybody when I was in high school was, why would you be holding to one side or the other? Why would you blindly faith that a Democrat or a Republican have all the answers when clearly both have probably good things? I, I knew that when I was in mm -hmm. high school, when I first started paying attention. That's simple stuff, isn't it, yeah, Allison? It's really simple. And it doesn't it doesn't need to be more complicated. I, I actually won't register. <laughs> I won't register as a voter for one party. I just won't. Like, I know it keeps me out of the primaries, but... I'm fine with that. Like to me, there is something about like, no, you, you don't, um, you no. I, I just won't like, I, I am like, I will always remain independent when I register to vote because that's how I want to maintain like my thought process. And I want to make sure that I, I don't say like, Nope, you've got my vote or you can count on this. Um, I understand there are some things you forgo because, but I'm like, I don't care. I, it's to me, it's, it's the principle of it. Like you have to make sure you're actively, um, staying open-minded, but now I, I don't know. We like exist in these silos, right? Like we only want confirmation information and confirmation bias. Um, so it, it's, it's bizarre. It's become like cultish in some ways it feels like, um, I, I really try to listen. I just, and people don't want to listen anymore. Though. Nobody wants to listen. Nobody wants to listen. They just want to tell you what they think. Their mind is already made up. Like it, a few names come out of your mouth or anything. And, their connotations are so strong with that person or um, that issue that they automatically, it's like walls go up, blinders go up. Nope. Not hearing it, not seeing it, not nothing like done. And um, we've cultivated this society where that's allowed based on how we interact, which is, you know, like it's all on social media. It's all online. There's very like 
very little human face-to-face interaction, which I think leads to more open and diverse discussions because we are open and diverse people. Um, but when you filter out your friend group on Facebook, so you only see things on your feed that you agree with, it, it becomes difficult to think like, oh, maybe this person has some valid points. Uh, no, now it's, they don't think like me and I can't deal with them. And so I'm just going to like remove them from my, my feed slash life. Like I put a thing out on Dungey, you know, on Twitter, you know, par- partially to promote the show. And the, and the comments that come back are always amazing. You know, did IU teach you those critical thinking? Give your diploma back. Oh, okay. People are, who are showing graphs and charts, stop. It doesn't fit Dan's narrative. I mean, you can't have a conversation. You, you can't. It's, I, you and I could do a show on this every week. We could. (laughs) Hey, let me ask you a question. You've been in in situations before. Uh, You see the stuff with Adam Schefter and uh, Dwayne Haskins. Schefter's catching a lot of hell. I did, yeah. Sorry. Uh I I lost you a little bit. You were asking about Schefter? Yeah, what do you think of that? Um... I think that is the times we live in where there's a rush to be first and we've lost a bit of our humanity. Um, He was breaking the news of a death and he is in the breaking news business and the death of a young man who um, is a son and a friend and uh, a member of a family outside of football. And I think when you are in a rush to get something up and be the first and to break it, you can lose a little bit of what you're really uh, reporting and the weight of it and the seriousness and why it matters. Um, I, I'm not saying Adam Schefter is a bad person. I just think in that moment, he contextualized a person and their profession and their profession only. And that's unfortunate. Uh, if I've learned anything in the last year, it's that your profession most certainly does not define you. And it is not the most important aspect of your life. Um, and so I thought it, it was very unfortunate that he, he boiled him down in a single tweet, announcing to many for the first time that he had passed um, to his struggles in the NFL and, and his career at Ohio State. So, yes, it was unfortunate. Um, I'm not here to blast Adam Schefter. I, I know he's apologized. I'm sure he regrets it. And in retrospect, it, he could see why it was it was received the way it was received. Um, but that is the culture we are living in where people just want to get it out and they want to get it out first and they don't think it through and they don't think about the gravity of the news they're breaking or um, maybe even the opinion they're sharing. Uh, so I, I, look, it's, again, it's, it's super unfortunate. It's a horrible tragedy for Haskins and his family and those he leaves behind. Um, this was obviously a young man who had struggled, you know, during his time. And I mean, mentally, and he talked about that, that um, the nagging insecurities that he dealt with and, and some of the, the mental challenges and struggles he had to overcome. Um, but he was, he was more than a football player. And I think it's unfortunate that the tweet announcing the end of his life boiled him down to just that. And it's a good reminder for all of us, I think, to treat people with more humanity and to re to remember whether it is an athlete or, um, a politician or a public figure that they are still people. And I think we need to get back to remembering that and that these are, these are real people in their real lives and, and real tragedies. So, um, I don't, condemn Adam Schefter for it. I just think it was a really unfortunately worded tweet that he didn't uh, think through before he pushed send because he was unfortunately probably, you know, wanting to be the first to break a really terrible piece of news. 
When you when you look at like the same thing happened with mm-hmm. Wojnarowski with Frank Vogel. Like I, I said this, like you, like if somebody gave me a news that you were going to be fired tomorrow, but you didn't know. Like I don't I don't know that, that I, I, I I'm a bad guy. I get <laughs> it, but I'm not doing that. I'm not I'm not putting that out. I I think you use the word humanity, a little mm-hmm. empathy, a little bit of. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, do you think players should take more control of their information on top of what well, I just Well, I think you? they have to a certain extent. Um, but there are sometimes things that get out because of relationships. I, to me, like, I'm probably a really bad person to ask at this because if there was one thing I was really bad at, at a reporter, as a reporter, it was like trying to get people to tell me something that I knew they didn't probably want to tell me. I just always felt weird doing that. Like, I don't know. It felt a little Me cringy, too. a little dirty. Like some people are really freaking good at it and they get people to tell them things and leak them things and give them information. And, and it's, it, it's valued in this industry tremendously. And I get that. I always just felt weird. Like I was there to tell stories. I wasn't there to dig up dirt and like break news. Um, so it was not my strong point as a reporter at all. So a part of me is like, all right, I don't understand that side of the business. And that's what Woj does. He drops Woj bombs and he breaks this news and every, I mean, agents tell him everything. Like it's gnarly the, the shit that he can find out. And that's why he's made himself so much money is because he gets it and he gets it first and he gets it right. And he was right. Frank Vogel was fired. But the fact that then Frank Vogel goes into a press conference after a great win and is blasted with these questions unbeknownst to him, first of all, reflects poorly um, on the Lakers organization. I mean, first and foremost, right? Like what a joke. It, it, you know, and, yes, without and second question. of all, it, it's Horrible. a shitty situation for him to be in that he didn't deserve. And again, I'm not going to crucify Woj for it. He's doing his job. I get it. But like, yeah, I mean, there comes a point where you're like, hey, should I hold off on this? Like, maybe at least wait till after the press conference. I don't know. I mean, are, are you that worried that somebody else is going to have it if you're him? Um, do you have an obligation to break it as soon as you find out? it really falls on the Lakers organization, I think more than anybody, but I understand there's only so many things you can control when you have that many people involved. Um, but it should have been handled differently. And I don't know how it changes like his relationship with Vogel or maybe other coaches. I'm sure it doesn't matter because he has all the relationships Woj needs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit like, can you just hit pause? Like, do we always have to be going hundred miles an hour and be the first and be the fastest and get it like, can you just hit pause and say like, okay, what are the ramifications of this? Whose lives am I, am I impacting right now? And like, maybe Woj didn't know that Frank didn't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the inner workings that were going on behind the scenes. He no, did. he did. He, yeah. he the, the tweet, the tweet was basically saying, I remember when I read, it, I go, this is weird. It was basically unbeknownst to him. He's going to be fired tomorrow. You know? <laughs> like, I'm not sure I've seen a tweet like that. I don't Allison. think I have either. <laughs> hey, sure. this guy doesn't know this. <laughs> His shit's about to go down. Interesting. That's 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 hey. almost like a hey, he like I uh that's kind of like a subtle brag. Like he doesn't even know, but I know. Right. Right. Okay, right. okay. okay. I, I'm so with you. Going back to your point, I am so with you. And maybe it's because as a coach, I don't know, but I, I feel you use the word dirty. I feel the same way. Like when I'm, I've only done it a couple times and I didn't mm-hmm. feel right trying to not dig dirt, but get to the bottom of something that was not, I don't know. I, I can remember it specifically. There was an incident on a high school bus here and a dad wanted to talk and I kept grilling him. And finally he kind of cracked or whatever. 
I didn't feel great about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't feel like I, some great journalist, you know, like I got this guy to admit what really happened. I and don't know. Like, maybe we're supposed, maybe that's why yeah, we're exactly. talking here. <laughs> that's why we're not making like 40 million a year. I don't yeah, know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's because I'm sure, you know, the one thing that I'm curious while you feel about this does the excuse, well, that's my job, cover that type behavior? I mean, if it helps you sleep at night, yeah, I, I, I'm fine. You know, like yeah, if that's right? what you have to tell yourself, that's fine. I think you can acknowledge that it, I think you can acknowledge that it's not um, the best thing to do, but it's like you have, like you have to do it. Um I understand it, but it is part of his job. Like, that's what I get. I mean, he makes a shit ton of money and he makes it because he gets stuff first and he gets stuff that other people doesn't, that other people don't. So yeah, it is part of his job, but that doesn't mean you can't be a better person and still do your job. Does that make sense? Like, I think there is, there's a balance there. Like you can still say, okay, this is going to rock Frank Vogel's world and this is going to have a ripple effect and put him in a really awkward situation. What are the ramifications for me if I wait two hours or like, I don't, I mean, obviously you can't be the one that makes the phone call to Frank, but like maybe you have a conversation with your source of when are you going to let Frank know? So I can tweet it then. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, like, is it, is it going to make a huge difference? I mean, I just think it's like the decent thing to do, but I do understand there is like a pressure and an expectation when you have the information to get the information out there and it's this immediate culture and he's kind of like caught in the crosshairs of it. But I don't know. That's... And he's, and he just signed a big deal. I mean, he, yeah. he's not doing that. If he, if you know, he's got, all of a sudden you signed this mm-hmm. massive deal and you got to, you know, your first real splash is a big one. It's a Lakers for crying right. out loud. Right. <laughs> So yeah. I get it. I'm with you. I get it. But I, I, I just think that at some point you got to have a little bit of thought. Well, about, you know, too, don't you think there's, there's got to be a thing. thought too? Like how would, if I, if I become the person that like can't hold something, well then it costs me in the future when someone's not going to tell me something because they're, no, they know I'm not going to hold it. Like there's that, there's that dance right. you have to do too. Like, no, look, you can trust me with this information. I'll release it when you tell me it's good because we have that understanding. I mean, maybe he burned this like, Hey dude, I didn't think you were going to put that out there right then. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a balance there too. Like, do you, do you jeopardize some other sources or relationships because they know as soon as they tell you it's going out? I don't know. Maybe not. I'm certainly not one to tell what I'm to do. So it, something to think about. I, I will tell you this. I guarantee there's always a mm-hmm. backstory. You know this. There's always mm-hmm. a backstory. I mean, I don't know what the backstory is here. I don't know if he had to get it out because Shams right. had it, or, or you know, they're like, "Hey, we're giving you ten million. Uh, I don't, I don't give a damn. You, you got information yep. that's going to help drive people to us and to you. Mm-hmm. Boom. You know, I guarantee you, there's a backstory like that involved here. A hundred percent. No, that's a great point. That's a yeah. great point. Thanks. Hey, I love talking to you. I love, I love our our time together. I feel, feel good. I'm, really I'm good? getting, I'm getting big. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> my, son, my husband saw a picture of me the other day in a group and he's like that one. And then she looks pregnant. I mean, I wouldn't say that to her, but she looks pregnant. I'm like, that 
that's me. Like that I'm, I'm the pregnant one in the photo. He's <laughs> like, Oh geez. So yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm large and in charge, but feel good. Everything's healthy and happy. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Your <laughs> husband didn't, your husband <laughs> no. didn't recognize you in a picture. <laughs> I had a hat on and it was a group picture and he was actually looking for me in the group picture. And I'm sitting next to him as he's looking at it. And he's like, it's like 10 of us girls. And he's like, yeah, that one, I mean, she, that one looks pregnant. And I'm like, I'm thinking he's being funny. She's like, I mean, I wouldn't say it to her, but she looks pregnant. And I, I said, Sant, me? And he's like, wait, that's you. <laughs> oh my God, that was oh hilarious. God. So yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's when you realize like, yeah, you, you're as big as you feel and try to tell yourself you're not, but you are. But oh, yeah, geez. yeah, classic. Typical male move. <laughs> that, is, that, that is a typical dude move, and you're the best because you just yeah, laugh. Yeah, you it saw off. what I was wearing. That's like, awesome. give me a break because oh, I had a hat on. I was like totally incognito. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, but all good. All good. It's part of the process. Oh, Thankful man. to to be able to do it. Yeah. yeah right. You're Thanks, Allison. We'll you're the best. Soon. All right, that's Allison Williams. That is so good. That is so good. Ah, she pregnant. Next thing you know, it's her. <laughs> uh, hey, we're going to close. I was going to get into some mean tweets, some other stuff. We'll do it tomorrow. But um, Outkick the Tailgate is coming up. It is this Saturday. It's going to be Chad Withrow, who you know from Outkick 360. Jill Savage, who you know from Outkick, Outkick 360. This show, many guests. It is, ladies and gentlemen, the New Jersey Generals versus the Birmingham Stallion, 730 Eastern on Fox. Now, here's the deal. This is the USFL. This is getting going. They need your help. You love football. I love football. It's in Birmingham, so everybody's going to watch. Uh Get your tickets. All you got to do is go to theusfl.com and come on out. It's that simple. It's in Birmingham. It is the New Jersey Generals. (laughs) That was Trump's old team, I think, uh, back in the heyday. But anyway, I got to thank Ryan and Dylan, obviously Allison and Corey and everybody behind the scenes. We're starting to take this show to another level with the graphics, and that's all Dylan and Ryan and the guys behind will be back at it tomorrow. Bobby Carpenter, fantastic. Um, Allison Williams, fantastic. Hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Again, if you want to check all this act out, all you got to do is go to 107.5 The Fan. I am on at noon to 3 Eastern time every day, Monday through Friday. Have a great, great afternoon, everybody. Enjoy your day. Dockage.